that thank you so much what a blessing that song was uh powerful to say the least what a message amen well until you get it in your heart that you're that sinner that he died for you really have no hope it's not enough just to know that the lord jesus christ died on a cross and rose again it's not enough to even know that he'd save you if he asked you have to really believe in your heart that you're that sinner he died for 
So important, isn't it? So awfully important. Well, take your Bible today. Look over the book of Matthew. Again, we're so thrilled that you could be here today and so happy that uh, you've chosen to worship the Lord this Resurrection Sunday. It's so important to be in God's house regularly, consistently. I'm glad you're here, though, today. If you don't always go to church, this is the right place to be this morning. Amen. And we're so glad you joined us. You're our honored guest today. Thank you for coming. And if you are faithful week in and week out, it's worth it. It's worth it. Amen. It's worth it. Matthew chapter 28. Again, a familiar passage if you're used to being in church on Easter, at least. You'll recognize the passage probably. It says in chapter 28, verse 1. I'll tell you what, let's all stand in reverence and honor to the Word of God this morning. Let's do that. What a great book we, we held in our hand every week. Amen. The Word of God. It's not just a, a compilation of stories. It's not just simply what men chose to wrote. It's literally the Word of God. Amen. The Bible says in chapter 28, verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the woman, excuse me, the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen as he said. Amen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Amen. Father, we come to you now and we're asking, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. That, Lord, you'd use this short time that we have together to, Father, bring glory and honor to you. Father, a tremendous crowd has gathered today for the express purpose of hearing from heaven. Lord, it won't be a mere man that can change a life. It's you, the Master. And Father, I know that in my heart and on my lips there is nothing that I can share with these people that, Father, will continue to make and meet needs in eternity. Father, you, though, have the right words. You, Father, have the words of life. And so, Father, fill me with your spirit and allow me to be simply your mouthpiece today. And Lord, may you just help every person listening to truly open their heart to you. May we leave here encouraged today, serving and living for a risen Savior. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you mean to us and all that you do for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Every year we, we take time as a nation to celebrate Easter. Easter traditionally is a time when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, it would seem, at least to me, that fewer and fewer folks identify with the real reason for it. It's sad, but it is true today that not as many people today recognize the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, on April the 1st, 2013... A study was released by the Rasmussen Reports polling firm on Good Friday. And that particular 
study found that 64% of Americans believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. One says, well, well that's, that's okay. At least, uh, you know, the majority of Americans believe in the resurrected Christ. Sadly enough, however, just one year before that, in 2012, on April the 7th, we saw a significant difference. What I mean by that is, on the 7th of April 2012, that same group did a poll, and they found that 77% of Americans believed the resurrection of Christ to be historical fact. So within one year, it went from 77% down to 64. That's a 13% decline in those in America that believe that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Now that's a significant decline. 13% in one year. That's almost hard to imagine, really. So the poll basically points out an alarming trend in our culture away from biblical authority and biblical truth. What we're realizing and what we're understanding in our world and in our culture is that we are moving quickly away from God and His Word. That although we still have the platitudes and we still say the right things so many times and on surveys we may even put the right things down. The fact is is that in our hearts things are changing. The fact is that our culture is transforming us instead of us transforming our culture. What is Easter all about? When we start speaking of Easter many times and the, the, the society we live in there's this idea, of course, of Easter bunnies and baskets and candy and holidays and time off work. And one will glibly say, well, the resurrection of Christ. Almost as if it's an afterthought today. It's not so much the priority. It's not so much taking the, the center stage any longer in Easter. Now it seems almost that in some cases it's almost... As I said already, an afterthought. You know, years ago, again, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be <clears throat> uh, nasty or mean or anything to anybody that's here. I, I'm so glad you're here. If this is the only time you come to church all year long, thank God you're here. But do you know that just some years ago, there would have been a lot more people who came just for Easter that now say, eh, what's the point? It doesn't even matter anymore. And then we'll come across with this idea and we'll, we'll almost try to pat ourselves on the back and kind of feel like we're almost um, being chivalrous by saying, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite. I won't go just on Easter and Sundays anymore because I'm not going to be that kind of person. If I can't go all year and every week, I won't go at all. Well... What's happening to us? I mean, at least people came on Easter and Christmas. At least they recognized that those holidays on our national calendar were directed toward a Christ who rose again, that died on a cross and rose again. But today we even say, who cares about that even? As long as I get an extra day off, as long as it's paid vacation, that's all that really matters. And what's Easter really about? If you go and talk to people across this country today, there's, the attitude toward Easter has changed. 
Well, in order to understand what Easter is about, I thought, and I tried to get it, I, I don't have my phone with me, and I tried to record some things this morning. I wanted to record a time warp, you know, and all that kind of stuff, or, 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 or some kind of cassette rewinding, and all I could find was a beta 8-track or something like that recording, and I thought, that's really old, and it'll date some of you. And so I decided not to do that, but, but if we could get, right now, we could kind of get in a time machine and we could go back and rewind, if you will, 4,000 years, well, today, 6,000 years ago, but 4,000 years from the time we just read about. And someone says, what? Wait a second, we read, didn't Jesus raise from the dead 2,000 years ago? And he's saying we're going to go back 4,000 years ago? Yeah, we, we really don't believe in evolution around here. I just thought I might as well let you know that right up front. And can I tell you why we don't? Because the Bible doesn't teach it. I, just, I do want you to understand that right now. We do not uh, believe in evolution. We believe the Bible. And the Bible teaches us that, you know, we're talking thousands, not millions and billions and trillions of years here. Someone says, see, I can tell he's ignorant. He said trillions. Well, I was just, uh, well, I'm not going to go into it because I could, I'm not going to be in whatever. <laughs> I don't want to be inflammatory. So I'm, I'm going to cease right there. But nonetheless, we, we notice here now, let's go backwards. Let's, let's hit that rewind button a little bit and go all the way back. And what we're going to find is that if we go 4,000 years back from the time Christ resurrected, we find the paradise, the Garden of Eden. And in that Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, take your Bible if you have one. Look back there real quick with me, would you? We're going to note some things. We see a paradise, first of all. I mean, what's this resurrection about? Well, it, it kind of starts way back there. So we're going to just kind of quickly go through a little bit, do a little bit of a Bible study real fast, and just see what's this really all about. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Again, we know that God created man breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul, the Bible says. And now he takes that man and he puts him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, and I will make him a helpmeet for him. We see that God places the man in the Garden of Eden and recognizes that he needs a helpmeet and he needs someone that he can communicate with and somebody he can cuddle with and somebody he can enjoy life with. And he ends up taking from his own body a, a rib and then making woman. And the two of them now bask and are blessed in the, the, the Garden of Eden, a perfect environment, a wonderful paradise. But God had given him a command of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. And God had said you can have every tree of the garden, you can enjoy yourself, and you can really just knock it out every night. You just eat anything you want, go after it. There is just one of all the trees that you're not permitted to eat of. I don't really have time to go into it, but then again, who cares? I feel like the Lord will just take charge of it. Do you know, it's interesting, isn't it, about sin? Every teenager, every child, every person alive somehow feels that they can do nothing if they're going to be right with God. I'm not allowed to do nothing. 
I can't have any fun. And that's basically the lie that Satan sold Eve and ultimately Adam bought into too. You can't have any fun. You can't eat nothing. I'm not allowed to have that tree. That's such a horrible thing. Why would God keep that from me? It, it would bring me such, such, oh, I'd be so happy and it would be so wonderful to eat of that tree. You can have of every other though. We're so quick to buy into that lie that serving Jesus is not fun at all. You can't enjoy life serving the Lord, of course. But we see the paradise. It was a wonderful place. But then we note the problem. Look in that same book, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible goes on to say, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes of the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave it also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now a problem arises. Sin arises. Well, I tell you, they had been doing real well and enjoying themselves in the garden, a perfect environment, no reason at all to falter or fail. And I do believe, and I have no doubt, that the environment that we're raised in and the environment that we live in does affect our lives. There's no doubt about that. It affects, even at times, our behavior. But there is still an element of choice that we must exercise as adults. And yet, in this particular case, God had given them a wonderful paradise, a wonderful opportunity to succeed. And yet, we see the problem arising, and that problem was pride and self and sin and ultimately rebellion. But not only do we see the paradise and the problem, but we note the promise that he makes now, the Lord makes in Genesis 3, verse 14 this time. He says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, and of course the serpent was the one that deceived Eve, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. I want you to see this now. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. We have God's seed. We have Satan's seed. So we have here. And the Bible's telling us that one of the things that God says to him, one of the curses that he makes upon Satan himself or the, the devil, he says, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. Now what he's getting at is that there's going to be offspring from this woman. And there's going to be, obviously you're going to have some of your own offspring if you will. And we know that ultimately it'll be his, his superman, the Antichrist. But what we're going to find is that this woman here, Eve, is going to be the mother of something or someone. Ultimately. And that someone, the Bible says... It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That offspring is going to bruise his head, and, and, and that offspring's heel will be bruised. You know what he's saying? That the offspring of Eve will take your superman and crush his skull. That her offspring is going to ultimately reign and rule over yours. That he's going to... Be elevated and exalted. And about the only thing you're going to hurt on him is his heel because it's going to have your head under it. Someone says, that's really violent and I don't agree with violence. Well, in this case, let me tell you, you'd be glad to have the Lord fighting on your behalf here because I'm going to tell you the only reason why you can sit where you are today and have the hope that you will have and understand to have soon is because of that offspring right there. 
Because, see, what we need to do now is we need to fast forward from that garden event and that situation 4,000 years before Christ came and fast forward to Jesus' day now. Look in Luke chapter 2. Now, again, Satan messed up everything because God had a wonderful uh, paradise for these that he created. His intention wasn't that they ultimately live in a world that is so wrecked and ruined by sin that the good seem to get crushed at times and the bad seem to be elevated. Good people are hurt and harmed regularly. Cancer reigns, it seems, and just destroys and eats at the bodies of people day in and day out. Horrible people hurt children and do horrible, heinous crimes against humanity. That's not what God intended. But sin brought that into the world. But God said, I'm going to fix all that mess. And so what he did is he said, I'm going to make a promise. And the truth is, that offspring from that woman is going to crush sin, going to crush Satan, and going to put society back in order again. That's what he's basically saying now. So we fast forward now to Jesus' day, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to see this offspring now. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know, that's that's the offspring now. And, And we're going to know that this particular offspring was the direct result of a supernatural birth, a virgin birth. He wasn't conceived by a normal man. He wasn't like me and my wife getting together and having children. No, he, there was a, a vessel by the name of Mary, and the Holy Spirit of God conceived within her, and he was a supernatural-born child, God-man. And you know what? It's interesting about this particular seed of woman. He, was, he lived a sinless life. In the book of Hebrews 4.15, we read, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. He was the offspring that was promised back in Genesis. Here he is now, here he is now, alive and living a sinless, perfect life. We have so many wretched pictures of Christ these days. People trying to say that he was the offspring of, of, you know, Roman mariners of that day and that Mary was really, had, you know, was really the, he's the offspring of infidelity and all kinds of things. They try to say all these things, but the reality is, is that he was virgin born. The reality is he was a sinless, perfect man. Not only do we see a sinless life, but we note a sacrificial death. In John chapter 10, turn there if you would please. Verse 17. <clears throat> John 10 verse 17. The Bible says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. 
this commandment have I received of my Father. Notice again, the Lord Jesus speaking, and he says, listen, no man taketh it from me, referring to his life, but I lay it down myself. He laid down his life. He lived a sinless life, but he also provided us. He was a sacrificial death. He sacrificed himself. He laid himself on that altar, so to speak. He permitted the Romans to put those nails through his hands and his feet. They didn't do that on their own. They didn't have the energy, the strength, the stamina. They didn't have the ability in them, of themselves to, to hold him down. There was no way in the world Jesus would have had to hang on that cross except he permitted it. He willingly took his place on that cross. He willingly sacrificed his body and life. He did that willingly. But then we come to that place that we read about just a moment ago, that supernatural resurrection. I mean, a sinless life, yes, a sacrificial death without doubt, but this supernatural resurrection was amazing. It even blew away the disciples. They couldn't even wrap their minds around it. Even though he taught them about it, even though he prophesied it, even though he told them face to face, I will go to Jerusalem and I will be mocked, maligned and mistreated. I will ultimately be placed on a, a cross and die. But the fact is, is that I'll rise again. He told them right to their face. And yet when it happened, they couldn't believe it until they saw him face to face. <clears throat> and the angel answered and said unto the woman, fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Jesus was resurrected. He rose again from the dead. And you know what? It was confirmed by a number of people. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> Notice what it says there. It says, <clears throat> And that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. That means they've died as far as we're, how we would understand that. Believers don't really die. They simply sleep because they're alive with Christ. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time, referring to the apostle Paul. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ being seen, seen alive, seen resurrected, seen in his resurrected body even. So what does that mean to us now? We've got to fast forward now to 2000, the year 2016. So, I mean, we, we recognize what transpired and took place. We know why he ultimately came to earth and had to live the life is because sin entered into the world and sin brings death. And as a result of that death, Jesus said, I need to conquer death and I need to conquer sin and I need to conquer Satan and I need to fix society. I need to put right all the wrongs. And so the offspring of the woman came, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, living a sinless life, providing a sacrificial death, and then supernaturally rising, raising again from the dead. 
What's that mean to us then? Well, you know what that means to you and I? Is that you and I can be saved. The same sin that took Adam and Eve and forced them out of the Garden of Eden and separated them from God is the same sin that you and I now bear in our life. Do you know you're just a sinner? And so am I. Boy, I listen to that song that that ensemble sang. Boy, I'll tell you what, when they... Do you, do you have that music with the words in it? Do you by chance have the music with the words, just real quick? I want to read those words. Because I think it's so important to hear... I mean, that, that just... Thanks. Let me find that verse. It says... Um, Wow, this is a long song. (laughs) It says, When I think of my Savior alone on the cross, I know without Him that my life would be lost if He had not been willing to suffer the cost to rescue a sinner like me. Then it goes on to say that. And then it says later, it says, it says, um, My mind is so limited, I cannot see the reason he died and rose just for me. So unworthy was I, yet he came willingly to rescue a sinner like me. Isn't that amazing? I mean, what what an amazing thought. He goes on to say, to rescue a sinner like me, he goes to rescue a sinner like me as worthless as I, and give me a reason to sing. It's so hard to believe, but it happened to me. Hallelujah to Jesus, my King. I mean, just think of how unworthy we are. I mean, we're sinners. And yet the God of the universe who created us, the very God who mankind spit in His face, plucked His beard out, beat him with a cat of nine tails and literally shredded his back. I mean, just exposed his organs and just mangled his body. Beat him to the point where he was unrecognizable. Then forced him to carry a cross until finally Simon stepped in to give him a hand. There to be laid on that cross, bare back and all, against that rugged, rough wood. And there nailed to a cross and hung there for you and I. Sinners in need of a Savior. But you know, his death was wonderful in one respect, but it wasn't enough. We spend so much time, and I'm not opposed to it, talking about the cross. And it's a wonderful thing to know that he died for me. But do you realize that if he never rose again, you could never be saved? You could never be assured a home in heaven? You you could never be guaranteed to live again when you die? If Jesus, who claimed to be God and claimed to be all that... If he died on a cross and was buried and he still was in the tomb, 
I don't care how many promises he made to us. doesn't matter how many times he told us we would live again and we would reign with him and we would be seated next to him one day in that wonderful paradise. No, it doesn't matter because he's dead. And dead men don't keep promises. But he's not dead. He rose again. They went to that tomb that morning. And I mean to tell you, they were as skeptical as many of us. Man, they took off there hearing that he was not there and they looked in that tomb. <laughs> They're like, where's he at? What'd they do with Jesus? What'd they do with him? That video was good, wasn't it? And that's how it was. They did not believe. They still didn't believe. Even after they saw the empty tomb, they go back and they gather together. And it wasn't until Jesus literally comes into their midst. And when he does come into their midst, they think it's a spirit. (gasps) Hold on, guys. Just get behind me. And he says, what are you afraid of? It's me. I told you I'd rise again. It's me. The resurrection reveals His power. Unlimited power. I don't know whether I can trust God with my soul. I don't know if I can trust Him with my life. I don't know if it, I'm ready to turn my back on sin and the world and the, 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 the muck and the mire of this world because it is. I do have a life and I do enjoy my life. I'm not sure if I can trust Him with it. I don't know if I could receive and accept Him because I know my life would ultimately change. I know that's going to happen. I don't know if I can trust Him. Let me tell you, He's powerful enough to give you great victory in your life. It's so much better serving the Lord than it is Satan. That resurrection reveals his power. He's the creator he claims to be. He's the savior that he claimed to be. He's the Messiah that he claimed to be. And he's the one who will make right all the wrongs in society when he returns again in chapter 19 of Revelation. He's going to sit on the throne of David just like he said. Because he rose again, I can be guaranteed that his promises are good. He tells us today we can be forgiven and saved and that we can have him living in us and that we can ultimately dwell with him forever. He's a risen Savior. All the way back there, 6,000 or more years ago, he promised that he'd come. And he promised that he'll set things right. You say, it's not right yet. I know, because there's still more to the book. Listen, don't, we haven't got to the end yet. So, but, but, but everything he said he was going to do, he's done. You can be whatever faith and religion you want to be. But there's not one of them whose founder is still alive. But Christianity, biblical Christianity, not one of them. And they don't even claim to be still alive. Where's Christ fit in your life today? 
What have you done with the resurrected Savior? He's not just a baby, and He's not just a dead Savior. He's a resurrected Lord. And we come together this morning to celebrate His life, not His death. And every week that the church of God gathers, the true church of the living God gathers, they don't gather to celebrate the death of a Savior. They get together to celebrate the life of a Savior who's able to save us and who can ultimately resurrect us in the end, who ultimately can give us life eternal, who can give us hope even in the world we live in. What have you done with Jesus, that resurrected Savior? What place does He play in your life today? See, an afterthought, so many in the world view the resurrection or Easter as an afterthought, kind of like, ah, Easter's awesome, day off work, but Jesus, resurrected Savior, oh, that's right, that's what that's really about, I guess. We're more anxious to watch the Elite Eight get started than we are about elevating the Lord Jesus Christ. Sad, isn't it? I'm going to be watching it too. I will. But I can't ever allow myself to get so caught up in what's going on in this world that I don't give Him first place. You know what? Today, maybe you haven't given the Lord first place in your life. And you know what? You can come to church every single Sunday and every Wednesday and every Sunday night. You can come every time the doors are open and not put him in his rightful place in your life. Where does he stand in your life today? I'm talking about that living Savior, the one who's watching, the one who's still on the throne, of, uh, on, the throne on high, that's in control of our lives and can allow, uh, give us blessing and meet our needs and provide and protect us and do the things necessary that we need in our life. Ultimately reveal himself in the world through our lives. Are you saved? Do you know for sure heaven's your home? Have you gotten your sin issue dealt with? Has there been a time in your life when you cried out to the Lord Jesus who came to earth 2,000 years ago and sacrificially laid his life down for you and said, Lord, I need you to forgive my sin and I need you to wash me, cleanse me, to take me to heaven with you. I can't do this. Only you can in my life. Have you done that? Have you received and accepted him? If you haven't, let me tell you, then you are not going to heaven. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, There is only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Only one person can get you to God the Father and ultimately in heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. What have you done with him? Not do you believe in God, but have you accepted and received the sacrifice and the payment for sin that only Christ provided? And will you receive and accept him, the person, into your life? Salvation is not, it's nothing less than a person in your life. It's Jesus Christ. Won't you accept Christ today? Won't you allow him in your life? And if you're a child of God, what place have you given him? He's the resurrected Savior. Maybe you need to resurrect him in your life, in your walk. Maybe it's time we all say, Lord, we want you to rise again in our heart and our life and reign supreme.
just like you did 2,000 years ago. Make me alive again for you. I might be saved, but I'm as dead as dead can be inside for you. I need to be alive for you. God, we need you. We love you, and we're just sinners.